Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. We're your hosts, Matt Domney and Kyle Dobbs. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Compound Performance Radio. Uh, since the last episode, we have still decided to keep Kyle Dobbs fired and removed from the podcast, so he is still not going to be with us today. Uh, you may have heard him. He may have been on one in between Sam Calhoun's and this one, uh, but that was just a fluke. We definitely recorded that one way, way past and just didn't release it on time. Um, so today with us, we have our, 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 star, our starling co-host, uh, Craig Owen. He's back. He's returned. He said more than one sentence last week, so we know this is going to be good. Uh, and today with us, we have our guest, the no bullshit physio himself, Alexis Lavier. So Alexis, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to talk to you. If you want to take a moment to introduce yourself, that would be fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Alexi. Uh, I work as a physio in Montreal. I went to McGill University, got my master's there in physio, did a bit of law school and then some screenwriting uh, in school, uh, then went back to physio. Uh, started practicing on my own because I think most physios are <laughs> terrible and it's hard to change. So I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to work for myself because at least if I'm an idiot, uh, it's my fault, you know? Uh, so I'm my own boss now. I hate my boss, but uh, it's better than the other bosses. Yeah, that's I, it. I like that because when we were off air, he yeah he literally you literally said like i you know i'm gonna eventually want to start talking like shit about all the bad physios and first thing yeah. you say in the intro you're like fucking hate all these other people i want to do some shit better than all of them let's fix this yeah so this is off to, to be a fair start. he talks shit about himself too so that's fair that's fair i mean like you are your own worst enemy always <laughs> so what always got you eyes open absolutely so what got you into into doing physio work uh Honestly, I just wanted to get into medicine. I come from a family of doctors, okay. and then I was missing in Canada. We use this thing, well, in Quebec, we use this thing called like an R score. So basically, think of a GPA. I was basically missing like 0.1 point on the GPA to get in. So I was like, fuck it, I'll just do the thing that's closest. And I, I like soccer. So I just did, uh, did physio. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't like it because uh, I thought it was stupid. I went back to law school. And then after that, I went back to physio because I wanted to be on the soccer team. Mm -hmm. And just because I thought, you know, maybe I can up my grades. And then eventually I just found a guy who was like, yeah, the things that you don't like about physio, you're right not to like them because it's just, it's pure made up nonsense. Like you can't feel the sacrum, you can't, manual therapy is not specific. So I just started reading a lot. And then eventually I figured out that it's kind of interesting if you make it into like a, a bit of a detective work. Like you're just trying to understand what the per person has pain and you can read a lot and learn a lot. I really like that aspect. And I think I get more time to do it than most doctors. Doctors are probably smarter than me, but they just don't have time because they have such a huge caseload. So I can learn most of my day, which is something I really like. Right. You get to be hyper-specified, whereas a lot of, whereas doctors are going to have to be very generalized in a whole lot of different things, unless they're going into like specific surgeries or specific practices. So that's, exactly. that's definitely going to be cool. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, that's definitely a, a good mentor to have in your corner too, sitting there like, listen, a lot of this shit's going to be bullshit anyway. Yeah absolutely and one of the teachers i really didn't like i was glad like i didn't like her for personal reasons like i have adhd she was like treating me like the way you shouldn't like I, she was like it seems like you're not missing it's like yeah like i'm literally trying not to fall asleep <laughs> and i'm better when i study on my own and she, i would always tell her and she would like not listen and she, she was like oh you're all you're all you're like you're always late in the mornings like yes i have soccer practice at like 6 45 a.m and i can't make it to the 8 a.m class on time like i literally didn't shower to be here every class I didn't like her for those reasons. And then I realized that everything she was teaching us was wrong. And she eventually, she got fired like two years ago. 
So, I mean, it's, I don't want to revel in like her misery, but like she's been out of like the stuff she was promoting was like 20 years, not up to date. So it's like, do your job. Like, come on. So you're not saying you're like partially responsible for her getting fired, but you're not, not saying that you're partially responsible for her getting fired then. Oh, not at all. It's not my word. I have nothing to do. I had like two strikes at McGill for like, um, like whatever, unprofessional behavior. I, like I didn't do anything sketchy. I just like made off colored jokes. And the teachers didn't get it, so I got like mentions on my file. So I don't think they value my opinion very much. So what you're you know, saying whatever. is the shit talking has started early, and this has been something that's been prevalent throughout your entire life. Uh, no, I think in school I had a period where I just didn't care, okay. and then sorry, my cat's kind of like messing around with the plastic, whatever. Um, yeah, so I started where I was like apathetic, and then when I got into like physio actually working on my own it just got really got to me because i just couldn't stand all the people doing nonsense and a frustrating thing in physio is that you get more money for doing nonsense so the, the worse off your outcomes at least in, not in the public sector so if you work in the public sector you're going to get incentivized to treat uh, better and more efficiently but if you work in the public sector uh private sector the more sessions you need to get the same outcome the more money you make which is kind of infuriating yeah. It brings up yeah. an interesting conversation on like the morality or the ethics behind being a physiotherapist is like, are you actually, are some of these people actually there to do the best for the people that they can? Or are some of these people actually there to just try to make as much money off of somebody as possible? Um, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious when a physio just wants to make money. Mm -hmm. uh, but in general, I think it's just, they don't know. Like most physios don't read research. So uh, Zad wrote the study in 2019 and they found out that 43% of physios don't even follow best practice guidelines. And there was another study that, um, I don't remember the years, I think it was like 2015. Um, don't remember the author, but basically it showed that 29 to 95% of physios <laughs> use a treatment that has like no support by the evidence. So basically they're all doing some level of bullshit, like most of them. And where was I going with that? Uh, We're talking about ethics and morality and people just going into it for, for money. Oh, yeah. So I don't think they're doing it willingly. It's just they literally don't know better. They should know better. And it's, it's, it's unethical not to know better. But I don't think it's, it's basically willful ignorance. It's not like pure evil. I think there are some physios who are pure evil. And I'm like, yeah, this does nothing, but I'm going to charge it more. And, but I think it's pretty obvious. It's the guy who's like, I got the million dollar practice you can do it five steps to get 20 new patients tomorrow. And he's like, whatever, like this kind of guy, like for sure that guy's his camera, but like um, most physios are just nice people who don't know better, I think. And I think that's one of the, one of the cool things about the, about your social media profile and what you do with it is the, the memes and the reels and the things you post, number one, they're very funny, but number two, they're, a little pointed at some of the people. And then number three, what you do with it is you bring, you make them the captions very informative where it's really good at attention grabbing. And then it's a really, really good way of educating people on what could be better, what they could do better in the captions. And a lot of the reels that you do, that you post provide a lot of context anyway with stuff that you're looking for, because again, they're a fantastic outlet. And it makes sense when you have, when you were talking about having your screenwriting background and why you're able to do them and why you're able to, 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 do these as well as you are but what got you what made you decide to start like posting these and start doing this as a way to or like like start an instagram basically um i was when i the, during the pandemic we had like a pretty long lockdown in montreal and i'd always been someone who like argued a lot online and then at one point it was getting unhealthy with all the 
misinformation online and then I, I got blocked by a couple pages and I was like this isn't doing anything I'm just giving them attention and you know with the comments the way the algorithm works is if you you post something controversial it's going to get traction so I was like am I really helping or am I doing something that makes me feel better in the short term and shittier in the long term and it was the latter so basically I decided to do something that was more productive so um I mean, in psychology, you call that sublimation. So you take something negative and turn, in, turn it into positive. So usually it's like an art form or like sports or something. Uh, for me, it was just memes. I was like, I'm just going to roast them, but get attention to me so I can promote good practice, uh, hopefully. And I just really got uh, a lot of traction. I mean, it started with Brooke Bush because I, I had arguments with them before. Mm. And I was like, yeah, this guy's completely lying and making like, I, I know like this guy makes like a lot of money. Like I've heard of his salary. He's making a whole lot of money just peddling bullshit i was like this guy is straight up lying let's just make fun of him for it and it really worked because he completely reacted and then it just got the ball rolling functional patterns uh joel seedman all these guys um yeah that's how i did it wasn't there a moment in time when uh brooke bush threatened to sue you yeah you called my work twice for like really long my my boss was like hey do you know this guy I was like, who? And he's like, shows me like the LinkedIn of like Brent Brooke Bush. And I was like, yeah, I know this fucking guy. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he was talking to the secretaries and they were like really confused. They were like, oh yeah, really polite men. But he was like, basically what I got gathered is that he was trying to get me fired. Like literally, cause I made fun of him. But it's like, all I did is he, he was like, oh, uh, here's like, uh, here's my point. Here's a, like 40 citations. I was like, let's look at the eight first citations, like the first references. And they were all either not relevant so one of them was like braille like it was a paper about palpation and it was like basically a paper on braille it's like okay cool like people can read braille who the fuck cares and then the like half of them were saying the opposite of what he was saying so he was saying like i don't know like something like posture is a big impact on pain and the studies were like uh posture doesn't have an impact or like ankle dorsiflexion influences knee pain. And it's like, yeah, dorsiflexion is not posture, like whatever. And then I was just like, you're not really credible. And he got really, really mad and said I was slandering. And and yeah, so I didn't get fired, thankfully. And there's only another person that called my work since. I've got other complaints, like a lot of them, but um, at my work, only two people so far. Yeah, Dude, that's, that's wild. That's two people more than have ever called me and at my job for making fun of them on the internet. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, they're super stupid. They just could, they can just call my order. Like in Quebec, we have an order who like wants us to be professional. And that shit. My boss doesn't give a flying fuck. Like he's, we're all self-employed. He doesn't care as long as it doesn't get to him. He doesn't care. Like he's probably the most open-minded person I've ever seen. And we probably practice completely differently, but that's why I like him. He's not a physio, he's an osteo. So, okay. um, yeah, so he doesn't care. So it's whatever, just whatever. If someone's listening to this and wants to sue me, just call my order. All right. They look deal with it. <laughs> Here's a way better way to sue me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but that's that's definitely, especially with the stuff that you are, you're fighting on social media right now re- regarding pain science and yeah. the movement link to pain and the biomechanical aspect and the biomechanical lens of pain, which is the trendiest fucking thing on social media right now. Like that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, in, like, obviously in my opinion, that's a good fight to, to take because it's so much more complex and it's so much deeper than just your dorsiflexion is going to create knee pain or just your static posture yeah. is going to influence pain. And 
like we, we gotta we gotta give you credit for for trying to take the fight to the people that are spreading the misinformation because it's bad and it's one of those things that just creates kinesiophobia in all of these people that don't want to that are already inactive already not training already completely sedentary and then they're like well look see if i do that i'm gonna get hurt because i don't have these things first yeah and it's funny because it's the same people who are going to complain about the obesity epidemic are gonna be like people are not active enough but like they give them like 90 90 reasons not to work out yeah it's pretty hypocritical and um it's just i don't know i'm it's probably because i read like a lot of science and that's really probably to an excess how i gear my practice but it's if you just look at the numbers it just doesn't make sense to hyper focus on like technique because there's some crumbs of evidence that it can lead to injuries in like extreme so like knee valgum might have an impact if it's really extreme usually if you look at it's only a factor if you have another factor so for example congenital knee valgum i did a literature review recently it's only an issue actually it's not even an issue for the progression of oa it's knee firm so the opposite so bow-legged it's only if you're obese so if you have like if you're not obese if you have a normal bmi it's not going to affect you these people are focusing on this, but then there's studies by like Watson in 2018 or like um, Afalafu in 2018, uh, which was like a meta-analysis. And it's like, basically, if you develop chronic pain, you're 62% uh, more likely to be uh, like deprived in sleep. How many posts as squat you've done on sleep, uh, <laughs> stress, like all that stuff? None. But he has like, four, I think he has like 3,000 posts and it's all on technique. And like saying, if you go too heavy, you're going to get injured. And the funny thing is he says he's doing that for performance. For, for me, honestly, the low bar would be if the fitness industry would just go, stop saying this is going to get you injured. If they would say, hey, this is more efficient. Yeah. Honestly, it's not my lane. I don't care. It might be true. It might not be true. My bias is that it probably matters a little bit, but it's probably different person to person because no one's different. And it's pretty clear when I treat, like, I treat people that are missing arms sometimes or like that have congenital conditions. It's like, yeah, that guy can't squat normally, but I want him to squat, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyways, the point, the reason why I was saying this is that um, uh, we're talking about efficiency. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> we're just talking about pain science in general and how everybody's starting to promote all this mis- misinformation on the biomechanical link to pain. Yeah, well, it'll come back to me, whatever. It was, yeah. it was a good point, right? I went into tangents, yeah. Well, yeah, you I mean, mentioned like- that, like, you mentioned that, like, um, you know, you work with people who have, like, legitimate structural issues with moving, right? Do you think that, one of the problems could be that, you know, other PTs are taking to social media and using, you know, the logic that you apply to that person to like everyone, you know what I mean? Like back to your point about like nociboing people out and saying like, oh, well, you have to do things a certain way. And like, like unnecessarily to the, like, as a result of trying to apply something that you did for this person who has these structural limitations, and then it's causing this really drastic disconnect between people who probably can just do it no matter what without worrying versus yep. not letting them because of whatever form or technique thing is going on. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, if you look, and I'm really generalizing, but if you look at the data on like movement patterns and how it leads to injuries, usually what they do is they go and overpronation, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What they do is they go, uh, they categorize you with like normal or like above normal and they use two standard deviations above the mean. So that's a lot. Like, it's not something that's like, oh, you might be a little bit like sometimes they show videos. And I don't even see the difference. You really have to like look like really closely. If it's if you have to look, what I tell my patients, like if you have to look for it, it's probably not a, a problem. If it's like egregious and you're like, yo, what's wrong? Like, yeah. are you in pain or something? Probably it might have an issue, 
it might not be the only reason why someone has pain and it might not be necessary to correct it, uh, at least not in the short term. But yeah, most of the studies looking at this use like they really want to make a point. It's like if it's really drastic, it's going to hurt. But that's true for everything. It's like if you drink eight gallons of milk a day, you're probably not going to feel it great. But if you drink like up to a liter of milk a day, it's probably fine. You know what I mean? The dose, uh, the poison is in the dose. No, that's definitely a really good point, too, because it's 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 one of those things that you see when people are starting to talk about like the tenuous link of form to injury on social media now. And then there's always going to be people that are like, well, if you look at these things that happened, it's like, yeah, well, there's a myriad of other things that could have gone into it. Like, how was that a PR for that particular person? Was that like, had they slept poorly the night before? Were they overstressed? Is this a second or third or fourth time deadlifting in a week? Like where they're going to, where they're injuring their back? What are all of these other things that, that, that go into it? But unfortunately, it's just one of those things. It's just like you, when you see people snap their legs on a leg press, you only get to see the most recent thing and immediately yeah. humans are just going to jump to associating that with the movement and the pain itself we don't even want to consider the outside factors we just love simple stories we want to have it as easily as we can no x equals bad yeah uh, and um often what i see is that people do like uh it's like the chicken over the egg the egg mm -hmm. thing so when does technique break down like when the loads are near maximal right when you're tired so is it the fatigue or the fact that the load was too high for you? Or is it because your form break down? And I've seen Andrew Locke posted something once where the guy, you see his knee really go into Valga, but you see him like squealing pain before. He's like, yeah. ow, and then his knee goes in. It's like, yes, because it's a more efficient position. Like uh, Pat Davidson says, like knees in for the win. Mm -hmm. So you're able to better recruit some muscles and that like with the knee caving in. Um, so it's probably just because he got hurt and then he went into that position. So it's right. like, it's, but you can't see the load. Like you mentioned, you can't see the load. You can't see what's going on in that person's life or how they were training before, like their, their mesocycles or whatever. You can't see if they were taking steroids, like, which is kind of, kind of important for injuries. You just see that moment with the form breakdown. Like if you fall down, your form, it's like a form of breakdown, of walking right, breakdown, walking you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I got my point that I was talking about before the technique thing is, yeah, it's mm. these people like squat you and everything. They're hyper-focusing on technique and their justifications sometimes is, Oh, but it's good for performance. But um, Lackey did a study in 2015 where he took like physio students and he asked them to lift some loads, basically do a deadlift, right? Uh, to, they were like, we're going to lift as high as you can. And they had a script. So basically everyone was saying the same thing, but they matched uh, patients and students. I'm sorry, like they were all students, but basically they matched the instructor with their level of like fear of lifting. So like, oh, do you think how much do you think that you can get injured from lifting or how important technique is, right? So basically kinesophobic uh, beliefs and they matched it. So if you had, the, the best thing was having two people who were confident, right? Even though it was the same script, so they would lift more. If you had someone that was fearful of movement and even though he was saying exactly the same thing, the same script, the person would lift uh, eight kilograms less. And then if you match two people that were fearful, they would lift uh, 14.4 kilograms less. Wow. So that's kind of a huge difference, right? It's if you're doing- a drop. Yeah. If you, if you go, like, if you're a power lifter, that might be the difference between winning or not. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's not even like squat. You were saying it openly. That's just your body language. Yeah. So that's insane. Like, I can't imagine how much it is. Like the difference, if like squat, you like he's training, he turns like Martin Lissus, like maybe Martin Lissus can lift like, I don't know, like 30 kilograms more. If you had like a more confident, uh, lifting coach, I don't know. That's wild. Like I, I didn't even know that that was something that, uh, or like something that would impact somebody that to that degree. 
Um, particularly if we're looking at somebody like a competitive powerlifter, where you would then take that seam up to like eight to 14 kilos and multiply it over three different attempts. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's what is that a 42 kilogram loss right away? Like potential 42 kilogram loss up to that as a max, like that's a huge, huge, huge drop in somebody's total percentage. Nuances. It wasn't in physio students, right? So there might not all be, there are a lot of powerlifters who are physios, but it's probably like 15% of that sample. I'd have to look at the data, but still, it you might say that because they're lifting heavier, they're more fearful. I don't right. know, to be honest. Right, and that could be that. That's an easy extrapolation to make there because the load is just the absolute load is going to be so much higher than somebody else who's deadlifting 100 kilos versus deadlifting 300 kilos. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that's I think someone mentioned it, but like if you look at the way injuries are demonized in powerlifting and weightlifting, it's really like there's this focus on form and all that stuff, but. Um, I think I, I yeah, looked at a study, the meta-analysis on injuries in soccer. And for professional men, it's like 9.14 per uh, thousand hours of training, which is mm-hmm. usually how you quantify injuries. If you look at powerlifting, it's like 3.23 to like 4. It's quite low. Olympic weightlifting is a little bit um, higher. but oh, it's You're like fucked, Craig. Really not that much. I know. <laughs> it's really not that high. Like, and surprisingly, the CrossFit is really low as well. But it's basically like track is more dangerous than powerlifting if you look at the total number of injuries. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Like, if someone gets injured in track, they're not like, oh, you fucking moron. Like, you weren't running right or whatever. They're just going to be like, oh, that sucks. But for powerlifting, they blame people. It's really strange. What do you think is causing that? Um, have you looked at the, injury, the history of, like, powerlifting at all? I mean... Not in this context. Not in th- not in this context for sure. No. Okay. There, there's always been a, like uh, I don't know if it's like Victorian Moors or whatever, but there's always been like a a fearfulness of lifting heavy loads. I don't know if it's related to it being like a poor person thing, like the way being tan used to be like frowned upon mm. because it means you worked in the fields. Uh, but when it started, it they got huge backlash. Like you were basically ostracized by society. The guy who made, I don't remember his name, but the guy who made like barbells popular, like basically the biggest company of barbells. I think they still produce them. Um, work, right? I don't remember, but he was, he, he's the one who brought it to America. It was, interestingly, it was like a way to fight the Russians. So it was like, you'd be, the way Marky managed to get it popular, it was like, let's just, um, you know, just be strong to fight Russia or whatever. He was like really anti-red. And, uh, but he got, at first he started, he had like a company and he turned his factory, he was selling something, I don't remember what, but and then he turned it into a barbell factory and he had basically, he created his own powerlifting gym. He was like, yeah, you're, you look big, you want to work out, we're, you're, we're going to work and then we're going to go work out. So it was all like huge people, uh, kind of like Arnold did with uh, bodybuilding. He had like his, uh, what is it? He was doing like masonry or something. Mm-hmm. And it was all like bodybuilders. Yeah. Uh, and he said it was like European br- uh, brig making or something. And yeah, so it, there was a huge backlash because they were like, if you do this, you're going to get injured. It's bad for you. You're going to not, you're going to get uh, stiff and not flexible. So the guy, I think it was the same guy. He had people like his powerlifters go around and just basically do really amazing feats of strength and then flex and be like, hey, I can touch my toes. I can touch my palms to the floor. Because, right, you don't get stiff from bodybuilding. You just get, mm-hmm you're just not practicing running you're not practicing uh stretching so you're not getting good at it but you're not any stiffer than someone who's sedentary if anything right. you're probably less stiff yeah and that's that yeah. last point is a is a really good one because that's one of the things that especially having worked in a gen pop realm for most of my career uh 
one of the other the things that I would always hear from people who are like significantly overweight or with reduced training ages is that they don't want to get so strong because they don't want to get super stiff and immobile. And it's like, I'm like, I, I deadlift 700 pounds. I can touch my palms to the floor real easy. Like, I bet you can't even touch your knees. Yeah. yeah. If you deadlift 700 pounds, though, you probably have long arms, right? I do have long arms. Yes. Yeah, same thing. I That's why I deadlift my favorite. <laughs> I don't deadlift 700 pounds, but it's by far my favorite exercise. Yeah. yeah. But, it, yeah, but it, I, it is one of those things that, like, it's the myths that pervade, and they've, they've infiltrated, like, the gen pop community, and it seems like they're starting to come back into, like, social media strength and conditioning now, unfortunately. 100%, yeah. Um. Yeah, just to mention the science, like Alfonso and all did a study in 2020, a systematic review, and he showed that basically if you compare mobility training to strength training through a full range of motion, the, the gains in mobility are the same. It's just you're not going to get stronger for mobility work. So when I see people like obsessing and doing like recovery or mobility a lot, it's useful in at least for like you're pushing the boundaries and you still want to do some mobility work, that's fine. But for gen pop, we're not reaching their guidelines. It's honestly, it's just a fucking waste of time. Yeah um you just like get them stronger through a full range and um we'll be talking about the what's the point you mentioned sorry the well we were talking about how um how, how that the myths of oh yeah okay. that are pervading social media strength and conditioning yeah so i think some of it is just because with social media random people are getting famous mm -hmm. like and then when people get famous i think they think they know what they're talking about it's like hey, i have two million followers probably what i'm saying is is true which is a normal reaction like i probably give myself more credit because i got <laughs> more followers recently um but yeah so basically there's this and then it's that information is old so like there's a big gap between uh research and practice it's like about 17 years when they measure it and so basically these people are like hey i look fit and i have like a million followers what am i going to do they're going to promote exercise and the most readily available information is the outdated one mm -hmm. i mean i understand that like charlie d'amelio is not reading like scientific papers from pubmed like she's gonna like google how to look and i'm not saying she did anything but like it's an example but that's it so like for example jpg coaching mm. like this guy literally his research is citing he's do editing videos of squat you and squat you i analyze the research he cites i swear to god squat you does not read the research he cites he just looks at the abstracts or he read McGill's book. Cause I read, even McGill is really strange. Like I read, I read recently, like most of the stuff that McGill uh, wrote. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you look at the data, it's like incredibly well-made. Like this guy is a machine, right? But if you look at the conclusions, it's like the opposite of what you should be saying in my opinion. So like a lot of the studies he has where he says like, hey, flexion is bad. He didn't compare it to like a, a study where the spine was neutral or in a way that we can prevent. And there's some casing, there's one, literally one study by McGill where it concludes that flexion is like dangerous or injurious. And there was more herniation in the group that had more flexion. <laughs> and I was like reviewing this with Ben Ingles and we were tearing her, her hair out because we're like, why? Like it's, it was really hard arguing with them because the book we'll with squat you or whatever, because mm -hmm. the point that we we're making wasn't even supported by their argument. It's like saying, uh, whatever. It's just, it was really stupid. I don't know. But, I mean, that's, that's also one of the, one of the things that definitely happens with a lot of people who do, who even start posting anything scientific or like trying to cite articles or anything like that on social media is they read the abstract or even just the title of the article. And that's it. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. look, I have my evidence. I dropped a PubMed link and let me just copy and paste this link from my browser. So you can't click it and get to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hate when they do that. They post a link yeah. and it's problematic. Like a bit of resubmits analysis and, um, because also this field is polluted with like small studies mm -hmm. 
And if the study is like more than, uh, if you compare it to a study that's like a thousand subjects, if a study has less than 50, the effect size, so like the magnitude of the effect is gonna be 48% smaller on average. <laughs> so basically like the, the margins of error on in physio in terms of like pain or stuff like that are pretty small. So like the, watch my cat <laughs> so basically that can mean the difference between something that literally doesn't matter to something that matters just because the effect size is small and the, the big studies are not going to get published the, the sorry the small negative studies don't get published and you can see that do you know what a funnel plot is no so whatever if i really simplify it it's because well, probably better because i don't understand it that well but if you look at an average of studies right it should follow a normal distribution distribution like a bell okay. curve yeah um, if you do that with the studies that are reported and you compare it to the largest study, whatever, it should follow like a normal distribution. But if you do that and you compare, you like move the, um, the, the, the data points, you plot them, it should follow like a funnel plot. But what you see in the literature is that there is like overwhelmingly small studies on the positive sides. And there is like a bunch of studies. So we can account to like how many studies are missing on the other side. And I did like a quick tablecloth mat. It's at least like 31%. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, it's terrible. That's a lot. It's part of why the replication crisis is happening. Yeah. That's why when I see like, uh, I, I was talking to this guy, like stop chasing pain. And he said like tongue posture increases pain, uh, strength or whatever. And I looked, there was literally one paper and they took like 84 data points and like six were positive. If you flip a coin 84 times, <laughs> You're going to get like a couple of heads, right? Yeah. I mean, if you flip a coin 84 times, you're going to have a lot better chance of getting a lot more heads than you would six. So like that also makes that, that, that study very, very poor just because of the execution of, or the, the outcomes of that just shouldn't even be taken. That should be one that you look at and it's like, yeah. eh, this is probably a garbage study, but I'm going to use it on an Instagram post because it makes me look smart. Yeah. And he basically, I asked him for a reference and he told me I was, he was like, oh, you should study neurology, neurology more. Like, okay, like I worked in neurology, like we have the same, oh no, he's a Cairo. So literally I know more about neurology. Than <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally had like more courses than you. Shut, shut the fuck up. Guy's like, crazy. Yeah. Oh no, he, he, he went off the deep end a while ago. Yeah, he started with fascia, which is like the gateway bullshit drug. And then he moved to lymph. Yeah, lymph. Everything that's everywhere is a big thing for them because it used to be energy, but that's not scientific enough. So let's move it to fascia because it's yeah. new and exciting. Uh, yeah, I hate it. And I don't understand because there's so many things you can do that are like evidence-based. Like right. the literature is like, it's not saying like, oh, nothing works. It's like everything kind of works the same, but you should just change your narrative because right. it doesn't work the way we think. It's just non-specific contextual effects, right? Um, <laughs> they did a study in... Uh, I remember the author was in 20, 2009, did a study on OA. They compared doing manual therapy, so like moving the joint, mm -hmm. to just putting your hand on the knee for nine minutes. So they compared nine minutes of manual therapy to just uh, keeping your hand there. There was no change in, no difference in the outcomes on pain or a function, so like the walking test. So basically people got better in both groups. It's just, it's probably more to do with that. Someone's caring about you, uh, being there to reassure you, and human touch is like powerful, right? Uh, humans are like social animals so there, i mean there's studies like there's some small benefits to having like very specific manual therapy things but it's just like um these people are using like postdoc reasoning so they do something that's like hey the patient got better it's like yes but everyone gets better on it on their own most people actually um 
and you just you were there for that person so why why not use a dialogue or a narrative that's helpful to that person and it's going to make him thrive long term rather than one that's like hey you're broken and i need to fix you or uh you know it's, it's annoying it's not marketable yeah it isn't yeah it, honestly i don't recommend it to anyone it's terrible financially right i mean <laughs> like that's dude that, that's the only thing that i can think of when i see a lot of this stuff is like you you're going to lean on how many followers or how popular or how much money you make fine but like why can you not just you know like you said change the narrative to something that is a little bit more um not true but like more applicable or something that you know what i mean like not where we're saying oh this person got better so obviously i should get credit for it it really bugs me when like people ask me like oh where are your results it's like well i i don't want to it's like i don't know how to explain it's like if I went to graduation, I was like, hey, uh, this is a kid that graduated. It's like, okay, like maybe you gave him advice and he graduated. I don't want to take credit for it. Like, right. and he's not my kid. And it's like, whenever someone tells me like, oh, thank you, you helped me so much. I was like, I just guided you, you did the work and like time did too. Like, I don't want to get the credit because I don't know how much of it is for me. Honestly, my, I think my goal as a physio is more like, kind of like a coach or like a, a Sherpa or whatever. Like, I don't guide you up the mountain. I just tell you, like, I help you tell you what to do or whatever. And then you do it on your own. Because, uh, again, it comes, change, the change comes from within. So if it's a chronic patient, yes, they do need more. Um, like, they don't benefit more from physio because they need someone to kind of coach them around. But mm -hmm. the idea is I don't want to take credit for something they did. And I never know how much of it is going to be for me or just you getting better on your own. So it's pretty cringy when I see people, like, saying, like, basically just, bragging about how good they are <laughs> i find it really annoying it's the same thing yeah. you could be it, you could make the exact same co uh, case for coaching though and for personal training and for yeah, anything like totally. that like it's all we do and this is what i tell my clients all the time when they're talking about like if like i've gotten checking emails before where clients like i hit this big pr thank you so much and i'm like i i wrote out a plan and you followed it and did all of the stuff with it and put the effort in that was necessary this was it had nothing to do with me like you made the smart decisions to do the stuff that you did on your own time like it's, yeah. it's very, it's very hard to see other people who just think that it's because of them, like a hundred percent, this is, yeah. this happened because they joined my program. It's like, no, you could, you could take a beginner, like a complete and total beginner, make them squat like a 10 rep max on Monday, make them run for a mile on Tuesday and then come back and retest their squat on Wednesday. And they'll probably get stronger. That has nothing to do with your training program. They did three things. It has everything to do with the novelty of the movement and the fact that they just are now making a conscious decision to be healthier. Hundred percent. Right? It's, it's really hard to 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 figure out like a way to take credit for something, especially when it's yeah. remote. Yeah. For you guys, I think it's different because I think you, you teach really athletes who've seen a lot of people, mm -hmm. and you can measure hypertrophy and strength. You can. So you can. So it's really more, but pain is more elusive, and for sure. You know, I think my goal is more to give people like a context for you guys. It's a lot. And I think a lot, honestly, I think a lot of coaches are better physios and physios because they're just good. And I, I think that's one of my flaws as a physio. I, I, sometimes I'm not great at like, connecting with people. I'm getting much better. But <laughs> it was never my strength. I'm kind of a nerd who likes to read science and make funny jokes. But and with the mask, it's hard to kind of connect. But um, it's uh, yeah, I think coaches are much better. And again, they're getting people moving, which is like 90 percent of the 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 job to be honest mm -hmm. and i think more physios should be coaches to, to be honest 
Yeah. It is actually one of the shifts that we're starting to see, at least in the United States, is we're starting to see a shift where uh, coaches are becoming bad physical therapists and physical therapists are becoming really good strength coaches. It's very interesting. <laughs> like, especially if you look at like social media, we get like, you look at people like Mike Taylor or like Derek Akune and people like that. And they're, they're like highly credentialed DPTs. And you look at the training programs that they put people through for like rehab and it's literally just training. There's no yeah. specific rehab. They're not like doing manual therapy on anybody. It's like, here's the lifts and things that we're going to do. But yeah. then you look at some of the other programs that like a, like a regular like PT or personal trainer will put together and it's like 20 minutes of SMR. Here's some shoulder mobility drills. Let's get you doing some T-spine rotations. It's like, what, yeah. what is, we have this weird thing where the streams are crossing. Yeah. And that's, I think uh, I've talked about this before, but I think there should be a shift in all professions. So all MSK care should look pretty much the same. Um, and I think, it's frustrating for like, I have a couple of friends who are like really good chiros, but they're bunched in with the quacks. Right. I think, and for physios, for, for me, it happens to a lesser degree and other good physios where like people are like, Oh, I saw this physio was terrible. And I'm like, I, I probably agree with you. <laughs> like I think most physios are terrible. And I don't think I'm like the second coming of Jesus. It's just, I follow the basic practice guidelines. Like I read, that's literally all of it. And I think this should be like a third profession where it's like, I don't care if you're a chiro or a physio, you just get credentialed and you do the same thing, even like a coach. Uh, and that's why I like barbell medicine. Like they're all different professions and it, you really have to look to see what their credentials are because their coach are doing the same thing. They're all looking at like measures of like uh, blood pressure, body weight, whatever. They do like a full health screening. That's, and I think that's actually holistic health. Like when people say holistic health, they talk about like chakras and crystals. That doesn't matter. What matters is like who you are as a person, what your, how your environment influences your health. And these people do take a broad look at it. So um, I think, again, I think there should be like a, a new profession that arises where we just merge them all. And it's like, okay, you got these guys doing these things. And then there's this evidence-based kind of profession uh, that should arise. But I don't know how it's going to happen or when or if, but I think it should. That'd be a cool third track. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And again, we were talking about coaching and like how we, um, our goal is to like provide good, uh, what do you call it? Like a good uh, context for people to get better. <laughs> they did a study on like uh, uh, cleaning ladies in uh, 20, 2007. It was by Crumb. And they basically told one group that like, oh, you know, all the work that you're doing, it counts as exercise. You know, you're, you're getting like a lot of steps in, you're cleaning stuff, you're doing physical work. It's really good that you're active. And the other group, they didn't say anything. And they saw that the two groups, their exercise levels didn't change, right? But their mindset was got like their, how they felt about their exercise and their level of activity significantly went up. But that's not what's crazy. What's crazy is they lost a significant amount of weight <laughs> and <laughs> they got like decreases in blood pressure. Just, just from thinking that they're, they're better. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't do anything different. They just, they were just like, they had positive expectations. Uh, so yeah. So when people post like negative stuff on the internet, it's like, are you really doing like, does it matter that Suzette is like lifting with perfect alignment or is it, it doesn't matter that she has positive expectations. I think it's more important that she has positive expectations. That's a super interesting stuff. That's yeah. That's a wild <laughs> yeah. outcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It wasn't small either. I was like, let me pull it up. Uh, yeah, I don't have access to the full text, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely wild. Okay, but that's that's what it looks like, and that's exactly what it is. Like, I I can I can corroborate that from like my anecdotal experience of coaching. Right when I pick totally. up a client who is super gung ho and ready to go, and they're 
really, really committed and ready for to get to the pro, get through like get to training, they get bigger, they get stronger, and they do everything significantly faster than my other clients who are significantly more reticent and end up repeating things a lot more frequently, and they don't push themselves anywhere near as hard because they're just much more like reticent to get engaged in the process at all. Absolutely, um, and that that translates to physio as well. So. Uh... <laughs> I'm not going to get that name. Kalao Kini, I think he's from uh, Awai or something, did a study in 2001 and he compared based, uh, different treatments and he asked the people like how much they thought it was going to help. And they saw that basically if you thought that it wouldn't work, it didn't work. But if you thought that it would work strongly, you had an 80% uh, improvement compared to if you didn't think strongly. So yeah, just if you think physio is going to work, it's probably going to work, to be honest. If you don't, it's really hard to get to these patients. You basically have to reframe it to be like, okay, we are not going to do what you thought we would do. I like when that happens, when someone's like, oh, it's probably not going to work. We just have a sit down and we talk. Cause, uh, and sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know what, for you, it might not work. Cause like, or maybe you should go see this other guy who you believe in, even though I think his approach might not be working for the reasons that person works. Um, you know, like manual therapy, I think a lot of people do it and it probably it's probably effective, but not for the reasons they think. But sometimes I refer to them and I'm just like, yo, that person really wants manual therapy. Let's go. Uh, it's not my thing. Like I do it on the side as an adjunct, but it's not my main thing. So that, if that person really believes in it, let's go. Let's go see that other guy. Yeah. And that's, it's, it, it, that's a, it's a great mindset to be able to have with that because again, it's your, not your specialty. It's not what you like to do, but that also is just going to foster a lot more trust with that individual client because you they know that you're not going to be the one who's sitting there trying to peddle them bullshit yeah. like oh no if you guys think this works go see them i have no issue with that yeah, yeah. i think the most um you know the what do you call that like referrals or just people that come back or just people who initially i saw and i was like hey you know what i don't need to see you like I, we spent like 20 minutes together i was like look at this other person and they just come back for another problem yeah. and it's happened like so many times and then <laughs> it's just because they trust me and it, i mean they should because i don't i don't care like i don't care enough to betray my ethics for just like a bit of money it's, it's not it's not worth it no, that's it's actually why i left law school really? <laughs> i was like it's, it's gonna be really hard to pr practice ethically there is a way there's some great lawyers it's just the majority i think are are just people who like to argue but they're not that interested in the pursuit of truth yeah there's a big uh, difference yeah I have a lawyer client in person and one of the jokes yeah. that he always makes because he got called like back when I was in the in the gym, he got called heartless by somebody. He was like, oh, yeah, no, they remove that in law school. That's like year two. They just take it out. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the teacher was saying, oh, you're going to be working. If you go to the big firm, you're going to be working seven to ten like every day. And I was like, oh, that's not that bad. It's like 21 hours. I guess you got some paperwork at home. She's like, no, seven in the morning to ten at night. And I was like, yeah. OK, time to leave. I don't want to fix that way. <laughs> not doing this. <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, like, life. It's my yeah. favorite thing because like everybody thinks they work hard. And then I get texts from my lawyer clients at like two, three, four in the morning. They're like, yeah, not going to make it tomorrow. Just got home. I'm like, what the fuck, man? How do you? How do you survive? Dude, accountants yeah. is, is the same thing in accounting. Yep. It was the same thing. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of these people think that they're going to, you know, I'm going to work really hard, grind, 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 and then I'm going to leave. It's like, no, you see that people settle in in a certain yeah. type of lifestyle. Like, you know, the guy who studied for 40 years really intensely, doesn't see his friend, doesn't go to a party. He's not going to be at 40 like, hey, what's up, guys? I'm finally ready to party. Because first of all, <laughs> you don't have friends anymore and you don't know how to do that, you know, and change is really hard. Uh, and that's what we see from the studies on like weight loss and 
like posture and all that stuff, like most of it is like genetic and environmental. Like there is a portion that we control. Like it's not like free will does exist. It's just most people I think think it's at least like 75% that they control. Like they're like, oh, I got rich. It's all because of me. It's not from the fact that like I was raised in the safe suburbs with like my parents or something. But like, yeah, if you look at, at least from a health standpoint, and even I think it's mirrored by the literature on economics, it's like you probably control at most like 25% which is huge. Like it's still a lot. There's a huge difference, right? If you, if we look at sprinting, like the difference between a 10 and a 12 is like, it's making it to the Olympics or just being like an amateur basically. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's not, we got to account for other people's uh, situation and their genetics. And that's, I think it has an impact if we look at public healthcare, right? Because the most effective thing for correcting, um, like stuff well correcting helping with the obesity crisis and all that stuff or activity levels is systemic change so like the most active countries are, are those who like where it's really hard to use your cars or you know where exercise is really accessible and affordable mm-hmm. so like i don't know an example would be like copenhagen like they basically you can't get into town with the car i think or like maybe once a week or something and it's it's funny because like that's not what the message we get on social media people are going to be like people there's a lot of like blaming people for being obese and like yes there is a portion that like boils down to the individual but it's we got to account for the environment which is something people usually don't look at you know what's going on at home yeah what's going on at home what's their their general socioeconomic status look like where do they live all of these things are much bigger factors than the or are very large contributing factors to the decisions that they're going to make as well <laughs> yeah don't take they'll tell that to david goggins well, oh, although that guy's gonna, like a freak ex- example. Though. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is he's just going to tell you to just like man up, be, go hard and run 266 miles, break his legs, yeah. get back yeah. on the hospital, out of the hospital and put himself <laughs> 10 miles back to finish the race and like make up for lost time. Yeah. yeah. That's basically that is like, aggressive. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like his general point is always like, do what you can with what you have. Like, oh, no, I like it, it might not yeah. be good, but like you have like that 25%. Make it the best 25% you can can. make it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. And David Goggins, I think, is good for a lot of people. I just think a lot of people who quote him, they don't understand that there's other things. And you know what I mean? Yes. It's like kind of like the gripes I have against, like, whatever. I don't want to get political, but like Jordan Peterson. Like, I don't hate the guy. It's just I hate the people who really like him. Right. That's that's the biggest thing. It's like you look at the top 10 videos with them on it, it's like all like, alt-right people i mean i don't hate all right people i hate the things they're spewing that's the difference yeah yeah and that's that's the biggest thing is you look at the you look at the things a lot of these people say and it's like well i don't necessarily disagree with the principles behind what you're saying but the way that people are receiving and disseminating your information like it's a terrible game of telephone yeah 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 that's why i would never be on a reality show people tell me i should go to this like big brother quebec or whatever i'm like they're gonna take me out of context and i'm gonna be like i want to explain like how it's hard to be like a black person in America. And they're just going to quote the part like, oh, uh, black people make more, make less money, like out of context. And I'm going to be like, fuck. Like, I what is explaining the social, uh, social determinants? Yeah. So I think this brings us up to our uh, only scripted question that we have. And I warned you about this one beforehand on social media. You told me you stressed about it for a little while and then you gave me an answer. Um, yeah. But our only scripted question that we have is what do you see on social media? And again, like you can take this whichever direction you want because you can go with in-person, you can go with MSK care, you can go any way you want to go with this. 
what do you see in the industry in rehab or fitness that just really pisses you off the most? And what would you do to make some steps on changing that? I think we've covered a lot of that, but I'd love to get like a, like a very concise answer on that one. Ramble as long as you want, but like a, like a pointed one. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's a, as a fitness level, like industry level. I mean, at a personal level, it's like people who, um, like tell me what the research says, but they don't read research. But I guess at the industry level, it's, um, yeah, it's like all the, it's very specific. We kind of haven't talked about it, but people were like, oh, but research is so limited. And it's like, I know it's limited. Like I talked about it. Like there's, and there's so much wrong, more wrong with it, but a person's opinion is not more valid than science for that reason. It's just, it's, it's just the best system we have. It's not perfect at all. And it really needs correcting. And I, I'm probably going to make some memes about it, like on how to address, because there are some solutions like blinding reviewers and all that stuff that are don't cost any money and make the science better. But mm-hmm. it's the people who are the most aware about how limited science is and how limited our knowledge is, is probably the PhD. So I like to say that someone who, the people who say I don't know the most and are the most comfortable to say it are probably the people like who have doctorates because they, they're in contact with everything that they don't know like every day when i read science i feel like i know less i am acquiring knowledge but i'm also acquiring knowledge about the things that i don't know so yeah it's kind of like doing dunning kruger effect but um yeah i just it's it's really annoying when people don't they don't engage uh with science and it's funny because it's usually the same people who are going to tell me what the science says like the go to go the go to boys they were like, they were telling me about the science. It's like, yeah, when's the last time you went on PubMed? They were like, science limited. We can't test for that. It's like, literally, they said they weren't testing for the stuff go to test uh, tests for, like high ankle, high ankle bone, low or whatever. And it's like, they did test for it. It's called like pronation. And it doesn't matter. They did test for like knee volume. It doesn't matter. But they're, they're always like, they don't read it. They discredit it before they even engage with it, which is really infuriating. Because if you think about it, research is just, because yeah these people use experience to discredit research but research is just the experience of a lot of people that's been put in a very systematic and uh, pragmatic way with an ethics review so basically what you're saying is not like my opinion is better than research you're saying my opinion is better than uh, my my experience is better than the experience of a lot of people that's been like systematically reviewed which is really kind of uh it's hybrid to be honest yeah that's a really good one (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one. Craig, you got anything you wanna you wanna chime in? No, I I just I, I thought that was great, especially because like especially lately, but it's been going on for a while. Everyone wants to say that they're like evidence based. Everyone wants to say these things, and then you know if 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 you if you show any kind of disagreement or uh, conflicting you know evidence, then immediately it's oh the science is actually limited. So like you, there's yeah. really no winning with, with those kinds of people. And, you know, I, I you. right, exactly. <laughs> That's, it's exactly it. You, you get blocked and then all of yeah. a sudden no one gets get moves any, any forward at all because we're halting conversation, you know, the second that we have conflict. So uh, yeah. yeah, I thought that was really good. Have you, have you seen what the Benians did a while back? Yeah. Um, I cannot see about- anything. At your blog as well. Yeah. <laughs> Such a cool club. Yeah, you guys. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah, I think the day he blocked me or something was uh, he posted about intellectual honesty and like being a welcoming to the con- contradictory evidence. And that same thread, he blocked everyone who disagreed with him. <laughs> it's 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 a mind-boggling. That guy is like, I don't know. I mean, that's yeah, that's. 
so many people do that. Like I got, I got blocked a long time ago by somebody who posted about mixed grip deadlifts being <laughs> directly linked to a shorter lifespan and mortality, yeah. increased mortality. <laughs> okay listen to this logical leap right so (sighs) grip strength was that one study from brazil grip strength uh, is associated with a longer lifespan i've read of it yeah mixed grip deadlift doesn't train the grip to the same degree as double overhand dead grip therefore mixed grip deadlift (laughs) equals shorter lifespan (laughs) with that logic there's some studies that show that orgasm reduces the uh, increases the pain threshold so basically it increases your tolerance to pain so basically with that logic not masturbating leads to chronic pain so i'd be like go jerk it off bro hey bro do you want chronic pain go rub one up bro crazy like, but like that's the thing is I, I as soon as i as soon as i commented or t- I started speaking about that instantly blocked and removed yeah. yeah but can you imagine living that way like sheltering yourself from other opinions yeah like Discussion is literally how we learn. Like if you look at Socrates' work, it's the whole thing is like dialogue is that we reach higher learning. You know, you you guys start at one point, the other starts at the other point, and you guys kind of move to another direction. And you leave like smarter if you're open. This is literally like, hey, I know everything and I don't need anyone else, which is really stupid. There's like 8 billion people on earth. They definitely have a lot to teach me, you know? Maybe not about specifically physical therapy. Like I think a lot of people do, but most people can teach me about other things, which is whatever. Don't block people who disagree with you unless they're being vile. Yeah, I mean, but you got to remember though, I'm I'm just better than you and superior to you in all facets because my Instagram following is bigger and I have- That's true, I forgot about that. Yeah, how many followers did they have? Uh, That person had over a hundred at that point, over a hundred K. Were they older as well? Yes. Oh, but the daily, okay, fuck, yes. fuck you. Come on, man. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Disrespecting my elders with a bigger audience. How dare hell? I? Yeah. But then you run into the, all, all, you know, the, I don't know, not minions, but, you know, the people that come and they come after you. They're like, oh, don't you realize that he's just trying to help you? You're like, dude, yeah, but you're going to tell me that I can't deadlift with a mixed grip or I'm going to die? Like, come on, man. Draw the line somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's not. I don't. Again, I, if we hark it back to what we said before, I don't. I don't think it helps most people because most people just need to get moving. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't need more reasons not to move. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, this was awesome. Thank you for dropping the amount of research that you did and like explaining it very clearly. And thank you very much for your time today. Um, if you would like to be found, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at, find me at no bullshit physio on Instagram. And if they want me to see me discuss with smarter people than me, I'm not saying you guys, I did the same thing last time. I'm not saying you guys are stupid. I just mean there's a lot of PhDs on on there. It's the one place where I get railed. Like, it's like, oh fuck, I was wrong about this. Uh, Twitter, if you want to see people exacting vengeance. And then, um, yeah, I'm starting an educational company called Pragmatic Rehab Principles with Elliot Sarah and... Uh, Jacob Templar. So it's probably going to drop. I'm going to have some educational stuff on my page as well. Like I'm starting uh, kind of a mentoring thing, but I don't know how, what form it's going to take. Mm-hmm. But yeah, pragmatic rehab principles. If you really want like solid educational stuff, awesome. if you just want the memes, my page, right? If so, for pragmatic, re- uh, you said pragmatic rehab principles, correct? Just to make sure I get the name correct. Yeah, back. yeah. Okay. They're on Instagram. Are you going to be opening that up to strength coaches as well as clinicians? So we're starting with uh, rehabs. Uh, we have professionals at first, like uh, chiros and physios and all that stuff, exercise physiologists. 
what we, it is in my plan, I literally have like a lecture also prepared um, for basically it would be to teach how uh, for coaches and especially strength coaches, how to be pain conscious. Awesome. But I think you guys probably have like a lot of it down. Like, honestly, it, it would just be like, and also the, basically it would be a, an intro a interprofessional collaboration thing. Yes. Cause I think sometimes I refer to a coach and I feel like the, you know, the window is not open. Mm-hmm. Like there are some coaches who get back to me and they ask me stuff and I ask them stuff and it's great. We can like work on the programming right together, which is awesome. I get that mostly from strength coaches cause they, they like programming and they're very specific. Um, but I basically want to open those windows so that we, you know, I know that I can refer to some coaches and we're going to be pain aware. Right. Cause I don't have you guys in Montreal. I don't know a lot of that's awesome. coaches. Right. Yeah. No, but that's, that's, that's fantastic though. And I think that what you guys are doing by trying to get a lot more collaboration is something that's definitely necessary because there seems to be a bit of a war between strength coaches and PTs going on on social media right now. That shouldn't be happening. Cause we're right. Unnecessarily. Yeah. yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, we will see you on the internet. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank Thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. If you liked this episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and drop us a review. We'll see you next time.